Hey there, podcast listeners. Happy Advent. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the pastor here at Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. And this past Sunday, we began and moved into the season of Advent, which is really one of the most sacred seasons in the life of the church. Um, it is a reflective and quiet season as and um, really one that asks us to slow down and wait and be patient as we move towards Christmas Day and the coming of the Christ child in our lives and in the world. And um, so it is a really a lovely season in the life of the church. The sanctuary is decorated um, or in process of being decorated. Uh, it looks so lovely this time of year. And uh, it's such a neat season to move through in the life of the church. It is a countercultural season, really, that resists the busyness and the hustle and bustle of sort of our consumer-oriented Christmas traditions in the United States, uh, and that it asks us to be quiet and contemplative and reflective and ask what we can do spiritually and maybe, um, well, you'll hear in my sermon, uh, what can we do in ways that are oriented towards justice and righteousness as we prepare for Christmas rather than just hitting up the, the latest and greatest Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals. And so I hope it's helpful for you. It's based on Jeremiah 33, verses 1 through 18. And I'll give a little bit of context for that uh, during the sermon itself. I will share that um, some churches are starting Advent next Sunday, but through a quirk of the calendar, uh, many churches decided to start it a little bit earlier this year, just so that we could take time to savor the season of Advent before Christmas Eve comes up um, on a Sunday. And so it just sort of made a little quirk of the calendar. Um, but anyways, hope that this sermon will be a blessing to you regardless. If you want to find out more about us, we're at williamsburgbaptist.com. You can also check us out on Instagram and Facebook. I'll drop some links into the um, podcast description uh, if you want to click over and follow us on social media. We try to keep pretty up to date on happenings of the life of the church. Um, and uh, we really are, again, just grateful you're listening, uh, especially as we move into the sacred season together. Hope that uh, you have a wonderful week. God bless. It was early in the morning uh, during Advent 2020 when sparks began to burn in a vacant building in the East Village in New York City. The blaze soon spread to the building next door, which happened to be a beautiful 128-year-old place of worship known as Middle Collegiate Church. By the time it was over, the flames had roared into a six-alarm fire that blew out the Tiffany stained-glass windows and utterly destroyed what was a magnificent Gothic sanctuary. As the last embers of the devastating fire were extinguished by the team of firefighters who had arrived on the scene, members of the church gathered on the sidewalk across the street as a light rain fell from the sky. No doubt the rain reflected the ache they felt in their hearts as they saw their beloved sanctuary in ruins. They had been worshiping online at the time because of the pandemic, but it was no doubt still a devastating loss to this community of faith. 
My wife's former roommate happens to work at Metal Church, Amanda Hambrick Ashcraft, and some of you will remember that their senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, spoke here as part of our speaker series about a year and a half ago. Middle Church is radically diverse in every way. On their website, they playfully say, Our church creates a safe space where we can become our fullest selves. Middle Church is where Broadway meets spiritual revival meets therapy. We look like the makeup of a New York City subway car, and we call it home. That sounds like a church I'd love to be a part of. It was a beautiful, it is a beautiful and inspirational congregation. And yet smack in the midst of Advent 2020, they found themselves standing in the midst of the rubble, wondering what in the world is left. Anybody remember this story? I'm just going to make a note in my sermon margins to break this story out three years from now. I shared that story in my Advent sermon three years ago (laughs) as that particular congregation struggled to find joy in the midst of the rubble. But fast forward three years, now 2023. Just this past Monday, November 20th, the final piece of the original structure of Middle Church that had been standing since 1892 was scheduled to be demolished. It was the iconic front facade of the church, which they had hoped to be able to save, but was simply too damaged to salvage. Dr. Lewis explained that lots of pieces that look whole from the front are badly damaged on the back. Hmm. Those are words that ring true in a lot of ways sometimes. Things look good on the face of it, but behind the facade, you begin to see the cracks and the struggles. As this last part of the church is destroyed over the next three months, I can't help but imagine that the ruins where this church stood will soon look like a wasteland, to use Jeremiah's words. Rubble piled upon rubble. And no doubt church members will feel deep grief as the symbol of their beloved community is destroyed. At the same time, however, this is a time for creative dreaming for what comes next. One of their deacons, Pamela Edgard, said this about Monday's demolition. She said it's a happy day and also a sad day. It's a day of remembering the loss and hope for what's coming ahead in the rebuild. This was a beacon of hope to have the facade standing, but now it's like a piece of shrapnel that needs to be removed It has to be removed before we can heal and move forward. Sometimes the facade needs to come crashing down before you can begin to rebuild. Jackie Jackie Lewis, their pastor, said this on Monday. She said, in the three years since the fire, church membership has grown by almost 700 members because the faith of this community has inspired people across the globe that fierce love can rebuild what is broken. In the middle of so much global violence, the rebuilding of our sanctuary is a testimony to how communities can rise from the ashes to nurture new life. These are truths that Jeremiah seems to know all too well. 
At the beginning of Jeremiah 33, which Gentry read, Jeremiah the prophet finds himself languishing in prison of all places. He has been speaking hard truths to the king and the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, we're in the southern kingdom now, about the rampant injustice in their society. But the king simply doesn't want to hear Jeremiah's words, and so the king has locked him up. But zoom out a little bit from the walls of this tiny cell, and you'll see that the walls of Jerusalem are surrounded at this very moment by invading an invading army from Babylon. Babylon, the empire that swallowed the Assyrian Empire before it, Babylon, the biggest empire the world had yet known, and soon would destroy Jerusalem. They soon would in the year 586. Babylon's armies, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, surrounded Jerusalem and began a siege that would last for about two years. When Jeremiah writes chapter 33, today's text, the city has been under siege for about a year now, and things are really hard, as you know, in the midst of a a siege like that. Food and resources are hard to come by. They're struggling to survive. But here's the bitter truth. It's going to get worse before it gets better. The walls won't be breached for another six months or a year. Things are really, really bad, and they haven't even hit rock bottom yet. And once the walls are breached, the Babylonians will carry many of them off into exile, while the army remains behind to tear down the walls of the city and the Jerusalem temple, and then burn everything that remains with fire. That's still in the future. And for now, Jeremiah sits in his prison cell, unable to get his message out because they're unwilling to listen to what's an uncomfortable truth. And so that's the context for what I can't help but think are rather remarkable words from this prophet writing in the midst of this place of darkness. He says, This place may be a wasteland now, And yet, the sounds of joy and laughter and the voices of brides and bridegrooms will be heard here again. Sooner or later, you will hear voices filling the temple as people bring their offerings of gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord. And in what looks like a desolate wasteland, things are going to begin to grow again and pastures will be filled with shepherds and their flocks. And the captives who will be hauled off to Babylon will be brought back home. This people and this nation may look like a wasteland. The line of kings extending all the way back to David looks little more than a dead stump of a tree, a broken promise. But a shoot is going to begin to grow up in the midst of it. And then leaves will begin to bud and it will grow like never before. And you will begin to realize, even when there is no evidence to be found for hope, even when you're hoping against hope, God still promises a future. It almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Jeremiah knows that things are bleak and are going to get worse, and yet he's offering hope. But he's not offering pie-in-the-sky hope. Jeremiah recognizes that hope is hard work. 
Here and elsewhere, Jeremiah insists that the people have some soul-searching to do, and once they do that, they need to roll up their sleeves and get to work. Injustice has been rampant in the land, and they've tried to cover it up with religion, or worse still, have committed injustices in the name of religion. And Jeremiah says, wait, wait, wait. You can't really be religious. You can't really be faithful until you figure out justice and righteousness. This tribe of people was supposed to be a blessing to one another and to the world. You formed a covenant with God steeped in justice and care for widows and orphans and strangers. And instead, you've created a world where, that is causing damage on a daily basis to the most vulnerable people. And just to be clear, I'm still talking about ancient history here, folks. But it sure sounds familiar some days, and in more ways than one. But Jeremiah says this, there's reason to hope that the world can be different. That the world, but the world that you have built upon injustice has to come apart first. And you have a role to play in that. And by living into this calling to be a blessing to the world, by creatively reimagining how our lives and how the world might look if they're oriented first towards justice, that's when we'll find hope we might have to do some demolition first. I'm wondering, can you think of a way or ways that these words ring true in your life or in the world? Can you think of any present-day circumstances that are desperately in need of a word of hope? We find ourselves today at the beginning of Advent, a season that's asking us to slow down. And rather than rushing through this season toward Christmas Day, Advent invites us to quiet our hearts and reflect on how we will prepare our lives and how we will prepare the world for the coming of the Christ child. And Advent asks us to recognize the tension and the complexity of the world we live in. This world is a beautiful place. But it is also painful for a lot of people. This world is a painful place, but it is also beautiful. Today's passage is a really hard one for the outset of Advent. It's tempting to just read about hope and think about Jesus and all the joy of Christmas that is to come. But then we risk losing hope using hope to erase our awareness of the suffering in the world. It's tempting to me as a pastor to try to just breeze through the hard stuff and say, everything's going to work out just fine in the end. Most of us would rather put up our holiday lights and blast rocket around the Christmas tree on repeat right now. But the first movement of Advent is this, to recognize that the world as it is currently constructed is not reflective of God's love and righteousness. The we ourselves are not yet fully reflective of God's love and righteousness, and so there is still work to be done. And only when we do that can there be hope for the future. Otherwise, it's just a false and damaging hope. Hope is hard work. And I'll be honest, I don't know how these words might play out in each of your lives today. I have some hunches 
It could be that you need to have a conversation with a friend or a loved one. It could be that we need to tear down the facade so that true healing can begin. It could be that we as a church need to have some serious reflection on how we live out our faith in a racially and ethnically diverse world. It could mean that we need to continue advocating all the more for inclusive and loving churches in our community and the world. It could be all of that and then some. But when we do the hard work, there's reason for hope that what seems like an impossible dream may yet still come true. That is the beauty and that is the challenge of Advent. And folks, I for one am ever so grateful that we get to move through this season together. Amen.